0: Welcome to Friars in the Farm. I'm Donovan, and to my left, finally, is Roy. Oh, man. How
1: about those Slam Diego Padres? It feels like the first time. It, it sure it, does <laughs> feel like the first time. I don't remember the last time we had a team that was winning and exciting and fun to watch <laughs> like this.
0: It's, it's so brand new. I feel like a virgin. Like I'm a winning virgin. I'm the virgin of a winning team.
1: Like, a, just, like a virgin winning for the very like, first time?
0: God, it, it probably pretty much seems like that, and we can't win for losing. I mean, several of those games have... Have come from behind, you oh, know. Yeah. The, you know the dramatic stuff in the eighth inning. Obviously, the four grand slams. It's just, it, it's, in, it's incredible.
1: We we wouldn't need all that if there was a bullpen that could hold it all together,
0: right? Uh, hopefully,
1: that comes around,
0: and I think it will. And I, I, like I said, the last what God it seems like three thousand years ago, I said I thought the offense was going to be the issue, and it was there for the three days in a row. You know, we got swept in, in Arizona. And then the bullpen would figure itself out, which it kind of seems to be doing now. A little bit. A little bit. Still shaky, but I think they're going to continue to do that, and we're going to talk more about that and everything else with John Connor for a little bit later on. But, dude, the, the big surprise is no surprise. Well, the big surprise is Grisham, Trent Grisham, and Jake Cronin, the crone.
1: Croninworth, the barbarian. The car- I saw somebody uh, anoint him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so you, it'd be Trent Grisham – Can he play center field? Is he going to be able to hit at the major league level? And he's answered both of those questions. Excellent plate discipline. He's got plenty of power. He hit three home runs the other day to all three fields. And then Cronenworth, we were thinking that he'd be like the end of the roster utility guy. Maybe he can hit a little bit. He hit, you know, in AAA, but is it going to translate? Heck yeah, translated. And amazing defensive plays at first base in in Hosmer's absence. And then he slides over to second base and
0: he's our starting second baseman, period. Yeah, absolutely. Which is kind of it's good, but also it sent Profar out to left field, which has had mixed results because Tommy fans down. But back to Cronenworth, it, and you had him throwing bullpens in spring training to create value. Like they're going to try right. to get him to be their two way player, yeah. get his twenty innings. Now it's like, no, don't even lift like I sniff. Don't even walk around the mound. Just, just be there for like you know, for when the <laughs> pitching coach comes out and says, "Hey, what's up?"
1: Right. He's good enough without needing that
0: extra tool. Absolutely. But hey, we got John Conniff coming around here. Right after this break, uh, we have a lot to talk about, and we have a ton of stuff. We're going to talk about the team. We're going to talk about Patino, all the— Possible the... changes to the minor leagues. Ooh, lots of changes to the minor leagues, and it's going to get— uh, and it's going to be a lot of changes to the Padres organization system, so that's going to be right after this break. It feels like the fire. Hey, before we bring on John Connor from Mad Friars, I just want to let you guys know that uh, Friars in the Farm has their own um, website where you can buy merch. You can buy uh, the Friars and the Farm shirts. You can buy the uh, the cool Weathers Report shirts that I just had made from Justice Perelman. Um, we also have a cool shirt uh, for... The Hawaiian K out, Joey Cantilla, really cool. Right now it's $13 for a shirt. Uh, all of the merch we have, stickers, uh, 35% off uh, from Wednesday till Friday. You got coffee um, mugs. We got coffee mugs. That, well, that's, yeah, we got coffee mugs as well. Um, check it out. I'm going to tweet out the, uh, the link uh, with the episode, uh, but it's really cool. $13 off. I uh, know $13 t shirts, and they're really cool designs, and I uh, really appreciate it. All right, now we're we'll going to talk to John Conniff. All right, so we're bringing in the overlord, John Connor <laughs> from Mad Friars, from his bunker in Washington, D.C. Are somewhere right. we're in the Beltway? You, you know, you work in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I'm in the Beltway. I don't know how you guys
2: stay married without a bunker, man. I mean, God, <laughs> keep everybody sane. My wife says go down to the pit, pig, and I'm pretty happy down here. I got the big, big screen TV and my press credentials up there and baseball books. So it's a nice little lair. But I, I'm kind of ready to come outside. The coronavirus is just I miss going out to the parks. I miss going out to the, all the places. So uh, we gotta do what we gotta do, though. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy health, enough. I, I,
1: I, I miss I, even going to the office. I, it's, yeah. I feel weird saying oh, yeah. that, but working from home, just the personal oh. interaction of, of the people that you work around, it's little things yeah. like that. I, on top of being able to just go to a baseball game and cheer for this amazing team that's doing crazy stuff, and we just get to watch it on TV and cheer through Twitter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's killing us with minor legs, nothing to write, and so it's kind of been, a, it's been an interesting year, but hopefully next year will be better, and We'll keep positive on that.
0: You know, and at the end of this, I was gonna say, Hey, what are you working on? But I think you're working on like where are they now pieces? Yeah, I'm gonna I talked to Drew Cumberland and we should have something on that coming
2: out. He was uh one of the rare uh kind of upside picks by the Sandy Alderson regime and yeah. I might have a couple other guys going on, but yeah, there's just I mean, they're not even letting anyone really even go out as you guys know, to uh
0: to talk to summer,
2: camp, or whatever they have out there at USD and yeah, from what I understand, it's not a whole lot to see either. Yeah, but
1: they're, at least they're out doing scrimmages. You get to see what people are doing, how, you know, well, you don't get to see, but you would get to see how guys are looking out there, who looks like they're comfortable in yeah. the box, who who had a particularly good outing on the mound. And it's just, it's a black box.
2: Yeah, sometimes with these guys, I mean, I got friends who work in the CIA and, uh, the Padres aren't as ch- – they're, they're a lot more chatty than the Padres about what they do in some ways. So, so you never know what's going on with them sometimes? There was
1: talk for a little while about the teams sharing the, um, the analytical data that they're collecting because yeah. they have Hawkeye setups and that kind of stuff. There was a talk of sharing all of that for trade purposes. So I wonder, because we don't hear anything coming out of that, if somebody's dealing with an injury, if somebody's making changes in a good way or a bad way, there's right. no information coming out. So how does that play into to, to trade talks?
2: They're not even really having games out there, too. I mean, so essentially they're taking BP, they're doing different infield drills. It's kind of like when you go out to spring training before the games start. Really? From what I can understand, it's it's kind of on that level. So, um, you know, I mean, it's I mean, as bad as uh, as selfishly as I kind of feel bad for missing it, I feel worse for some of these guys who are losing a year of development because as you guys well know, the minor leagues is an age game, and there is. A huge difference between being 19 and single A compared to being 20 or 21.
1: Oh, yeah. So if you're like a, a Grant Little, Michael Curry, somebody like that, that spent last yeah. year in single A, maybe you've been working your butt off all offseason. Right. You're Add looking forward to maybe you'll get a chance to go to, to Lake Elsinore. Maybe you'll earn your way up to double A because you're a college guy, so you're a little older. And then none of that's happening. But then you look at the camp and there's, there's Hudson Head, Robert Hassel, that are getting opportunities and they're getting so much intense training in depth and they're pitching off, they're hitting off advanced pitching. So they're going to slingshot past some of these guys. It's going to be interesting to and see how it shuffles dr- next year.
2: You got Owen Casey coming And as you just said, Robert Hassel, suddenly those guys, I mean, they give them the money. They're, they're going to probably have a spot in Fort Wayne. So it's another two outfield spots, two playing time. It's really going to be some fascinating things coming down when we, I mean, we'll kind of get to that a little bit yeah. and um, about how it's going to balance out with the players. Yeah.
1: So before we get to that, let's talk about some Major League stuff. So okay. Luis, Pati- Luis Patino has made his Major League debut. Oh. Congratulations, Luis. We were so excited for that and so happy cool. for the kid. He's – Right. Anybody who spends any time around Luis Patino, you spend five minutes around him outside the lines and you just – you fall for the kid. It's yeah. like, I want this kid to succeed. He's yeah. so – charismatic. Um, So he's improving every outing. What do you see his role going forward for the remainder of this year? And do you think that they're going to shift him back toward being a starter next
2: year? Well, he has more value as a starter. I I think the biggest thing with Luis is the same thing. that I think you guys saw with him last year at at high. A. It's just getting him. His fastball is great. He can place it where he wants to. But the big thing I saw in his last outing was I think with hedges, You just start calling more more sliders. Yeah. I mean, that's the toughest thing to hit. The change in speeds. And what was that? I'll show my age, but I'm not that old. But Warren Spahn made a comment pitching is about disrupting timing. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys, as hard as it is for someone like me to understand, if you throw them a regular 100 mile per hour fastball, they will hit it. (laughs) But the difference between hitting something at 100, things from 88, 298, 97, 86, that's what kind of gets. And he has good good location. So I think he pointed out last year it was this big advancement in the second half, even at Lake Elsmore. So, yeah, I mean, I think they eventually will try him at start. I think they're going to put him at start at least once until he shows he can't do it.
0: Interesting. I also, you know, with, with his fastball – and that's all he's throwing. It's not like a Dustin May, two semen where it's moving. That fastball yeah. he throws is pretty it's pretty straight. Great point. Um so they're sitting that's on the crazy. fastball and if he's not locating any of the off speed stuff, they're just gonna sit fastball. And you know, you saw it with uh Peterson hitting the bomb, um you know, they're just they gonna hit it. So he has you know, we had this expectation and we, we see how well he does in, in minor leagues. So we had this expectation so high on him. Like when he came in, I'm like, all right, it's going to be like nine pitches. He'll be out of the inning and, you know, we'll all go home. Uh, when that didn't happen, I, you know, I think a lot of us with a little bit sharper eye kind of got the idea like that's fine. He's 20 years old I and mean, what were you doing at 20 years old? Um, yeah. That it's going to take some time that you have to get through the nervousness. It's a whole different league going from – Three starts maybe in double A to you know, seeing Jock Peterson and the Dodgers lineup. Mm-hmm. So what I like to have seen is the improvement. Like he's calmed down, he's slowing down, he is making his pitches, every outing is getting better. What what I think I may have
1: so his command was definitely better in the last outing. Yeah. And I'd like to think that he quit trying to just blow it past everybody. You know, the whole baby rattlesnake thing that pizza Mora brought up that rather than just going up there and trying to be as filthy and nasty as you can take 2% off of that and locate. So I think that's what we've started to see and hopefully it continues. So I'm curious to see what he does next. Oh Yeah. Did you see that Mackenzie Gore was down on the field today uh, doing some – Yeah. I don't know what he was doing. Somebody posted a video. He was down there, and they were, like, walking through his delivery. It looked like they were working on something mechanics. Right. I really hope we get to see him soon. Anyway, on to Adrian Morahone. Right. So, Adrian Morahone, he has shown flashes of what he can be. Mm-hmm. We've always heard that he's kind of the 1A to McKenzie Gore's number one. Um, what, have, what have you seen out of him this year compared to what we saw last year?
2: Same thing, yeah. I mean, I think I think we're the ones who had the one A. If Gore was number one, McKenzie, um Adrian was number one A. I mean, that's always kind of been the, the the argument or discussion with him is he's got a great consistent fastball when he's healthy, mid nineties. He's got an awesome changeup. He's got that knuckle curve, and I think he throws. I think he throws a slider. That's his other pitch. And when they're all going, they're great. But that's the whole question with, with him is he's never really thrown. I don't even think he's ever thrown 100 innings. So what we see is what all minor league geeks do, who go in the backfield of spring training. We see some amazing things. Just the question is how consistent can he be? Like I always think one of the worst phrases and things that kind of we do is when someone says, you're scouting the stat line. I mean, in a way, I know what that means, but baseball is about showing consistent value over a prolonged period of time. So if I tell you guys about a guy that's been a favorite of ours for a long time, a guy we like is Michael Geddes. I can say, gosh, I saw him on Friday. He had a home run. He stole a base. He made an amazing play in the outfield. And then the next three days, he swung and he didn't come close to having contact with the ball. Right. And I'm not picking on Michael. I, I like Michael a lot. But, you know, trying to be good consistently is what makes baseball such a difficult game. Yeah. The question is, can uh, Adrian do that? And then you also got to ask, okay, how far can you – how much are you wanting to kind of roll the dice with him as compared to like a Joey O'Casey? Joey O'Casey, not a good guy, but on his best day, he's about a number four starter. Adrian on his best day is a guy who's at the top of the location. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if it's me, <laughs> I'm not letting him go till I am – Absolutely sure that he's not going to make it. Dad. I'm I'm pretty far from doing that right now you
1: know, what you said I th- so what you were saying about scouting the scat, stat line and people getting excited right. about I, I we seem to be overly hopeful in the minors that you see somebody have a great game and you start think you start dreaming of great things. I think once yeah. somebody gets to the majors it kind of flips. Like, Patino came up, and he got touched up by the Dodgers. And I saw people saying, well, he's not ready. His stuff isn't all that impressive, kind of talking the guy down. And I feel like once somebody gets to that level, they're looking for reasons to chop somebody down, where when somebody's in the minors, we're looking for reasons to to raise them up.
0: up. Well, it's against the Dodgers. That's Uh. baseball. I I mean, They really are. That's a heck of a spot for him to be put into. It's hard to
2: say. I hate saying it, but, yeah. I mean – and, you know, there's a there's a the biggest jump we all know is from single A to double A, a yeah. jump which is exponentially greater than that is from the minors to the major leagues.
0: Yeah,
2: and you know it takes a while to understand that your secondary stuff has to be, you know, a lot better. And um, there was a quote, God, a long time ago. You guys remember Colt Morton, the yeah. big catcher, about six seven. I talked to him once when in San Antonio when Chase Headley had just been promoted. And he was the one who said, "Look, at Double A, everybody has the ability to play Major League Baseball." He said, "The difference is, I can do something five times out of ten when I should be able to. Chase Heather can do it seven or eight times out of ten. That's why he's taking a private jet. He's going to be staying at uh, the Four Seasons in New York, and I'll be hoping the Whataburgers open late tomorrow." I go, "It's
0: just, it's that narrow." You well, know? you know, and it's funny because this last year. This whole last season here on the pod, I've been saying like no one's going to see Triple A, like everyone's going to go from Double A straight to the majors. And I think from what a little bit we saw last year with Morrohun and Baez, uh, Michelle Baez, uh, to what we're seeing this year in Patino, is I'm changing my position on that. I really think these guys need not only a full season in Double A, but they also may need to spend some of that time in, you know, on the moon in the Pacific Coast League, so they can do it consistently with, you know, limiting the mistakes in the strike zone, being able to make sure you're putting a, a solid mix of pitches and that you're throwing all your secondary and third and dairy stuff for strikes, or at least in and out of the zone. So I've kind of changed my position on, like, well, you don't want them in the A because they're just going to get rocked and it's going to really hurt their egos. And it's going to, you know, kick back. Well, on. first of all, you got to remember, if you're, if you're talking about being on the moon, I mean, Amarillo
2: makes, you know, right. makes makes El Paso look like Petco <laughs> with big fences. I mean, I might be able to hit the ball deep out of Amarillo. I mean, that is a, that's, right. I mean, not an elevation, but that park has kind of really moved in because of where it's at. But the thing is, it's a really good debate and a good discussion about the differences between AAA and A. AA. The biggest thing is, if you're a pitcher, you get guys who in certain places would be in the major leagues. Yeah. And they have a better approach. They're not swinging at crap, and they're not, Maybe they can't hurt you, but they have a better idea now. Maybe in Double A you see more raw stuff, and it really just depends on the player. But yeah, I think spending some time in Triple A is good because we've seen that as Padres fans, a lot of guys who do great in Double A really struggle in Triple A. Matt Whistler's the guy that comes to mind. Uh, Simone Castro is another one, and um, as a hitter, you know. Guys in AAA tend to have better secondary stuff. They might not have the giant fastball, but they can throw that change up, and they got a breaking pick so they can fill for strikes. So to illustrate your
1: point about AA Amarillo, um, mm-hmm. people bring up that Mackenzie Gore, he made, what, five appearances in AA, and then they'll point at his overall stat line, and it's not all that impressive. But then when you look at his game log... There was one game where he gave up seven earned runs in four innings. You pull up that game box score, and at first pitch, it was a hundred degrees with a seventeen mile an hour wind <laughs> blowing straight out. So how is anybody going to perform in that? Yeah. You, you hit you hit a pop fly, and it's it ten out. rows deep. Um, it's like it's like going to Lancaster. It just you catch the wrong night, and the ball's sailing out. Um, it sounds like Giza Stadium in Tri City is kind of the same way that due to the weather and the wind, you get there on the wrong day and it's everything's sailing out of that place.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it used to be the other way around. And in San Antonio, that park is kind of on the outskirts of the city and there would be wind coming across from left field to right. And so to hit a home run, I mean, it was a shot. And it's weird, you know, I was talking with a couple of the guys, uh, Danny and uh, Ortiz and Eric LeBron and Kevin Charity in a group chat. And I started thinking, every time I, I see Tatis hit a home run, I started thinking, well, I saw him a couple of times in the minors in Fort Wayne and San Antonio and all that. And I saw him hit some home runs, and I always think they were kind of amazing. And then I'm thinking, well, most of the home runs you see Tatis hit in San Diego are pretty right. <laughs> yeah, impressive, you know? Because, <laughs> you know, in the minors, I saw Tatis lead off in Fort Wayne in a first-pitch 95-mile-per-hour fastball. Over the left field wall, the second furthest home run in the history of the park. Other time in San Antonio, I went down there. The game got called twice in the two days I was down there because of hurricane conditions. They played at the third game, barely because the winds were coming. They were blowing straight in and across from left to right. Tatis on the you know second batter took one and hit it, pulled it down the left field line on a line shot. And I, sorry, a bit of a tangent, but. Every time you see Tatis do something, it's like you always are to go and God, this was so, so amazing that I saw him do it. Thinking, well, every time I watch him play a game, there's usually gonna be something we can yeah. do. I mean, how many times have we seen it this year, watching it on television? About seven or eight times. You know, if you go to that whole controversy, I think I think Donovan and I were chatting off the air that you know, the whole thing on the three O count I found so amazing was well, he missed the take sign, but just in the baseball thing, he didn't hit some Eighty-seven mile per hour batting practice fastball down the middle. Outer he hit half. a three on the outer half yeah. to right field, and Eight. then that goes with the home run he hit before that, which was a line drive over left center. And you're going, "Oh my god!"
0: Yeah, seventeen <laughs> percent, uh, seventeen degree launch angle. Yeah, that thing. And was that game. ballpark yeah. is huge. It's huge. Yes. It's huge gap. Yes. It's like Coors Field is a junior burger to, to the Texas team's new ballpark. Um, so I'm thinking the home runs I saw in minor leagues were amazing, but then again, I'm thinking
2: probably the 12 home runs he's hit this year—about six or seven of them have been amazing that I've seen too. <laughs> the,
1: the guy is appointment baseball. When he comes up to the plate, you got to stop what yeah. you're doing and watch. And yeah. then when he's out in the field, you got to stop what you're doing and watch. Yeah, um, um, Jesse Agler was on the uh, Suspectus Barbecue. He was on their podcast and he was talking about just the amazing defensive plays and base running. And so then they put out a video where they overlaid those clips on top of him, describing you, the amazing things he does. And it's like in a half a season in the majors, he's put up more highlight real plays <laughs> than I've seen in the last 20 years from anybody on the Padres. I, the, the kid's amazing. And I'm so glad he's, you know,
2: I've, I've said this once or twice before. So if someone's heard me say this, you know, uh, I apologize all when Tatis was coming up, we kept getting these questions like, Do you think he's really a shortstop? Can he really do this? And we said he could, but we tried to get other people who saw him play a lot more. Like all the team's announcers did this. Anthony Contreras said this. And I get to Wellman, who was a manager, he was a manager at San Antonio and now at Amarillo. And I said, Okay, look, I've got to ask you this. I know it's repeated. Can he be a shortstop? And Wellman goes, Yeah. I, I definitely think he can play. He goes, you can't, know, some people have written that he can't play. So I got sorry, I gotta ask you one more time. Are you sure?
0: You gotta give us, us the Wellman. Wellman. You, hold on, John. You gotta give us the Wellman you gotta do your best Wellman impression because it's not like, yeah, yeah, you can. It's like, yeah. Yeah, he can't. He can play. He goes,
2: Well, I mean, are you sure a couple people have written that he can't play? He goes, Well, they don't know what they're bleeping talking about, do they? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so I like Wellman. I think he likes me, but just if you saw Tatis play, you talk to people who saw him play like the announcers or coaches every day, there was never a question he can play shorts. None.
1: Well, he's that? proven yeah. that now. Yeah. yeah. That play that he made running out into shallow left field was ridiculous. Oh. And then right amazing. before earlier, I think it was in that same game where there was a play to his right, and he just made this amazing yep. stab, turned around, around uh, f- perfect feed to Cronenworth and then the double play what's impressed me this year is the accuracy of the throws and the timing that he seems to have figured out last year he was rushing plays he yeah. wasn't getting his feet under him he was relying on his arm now it's like he's figuring out the rhythm of the game he's letting it come to him and he's not making the same mistakes and it, it <laughs> takes years for people to figure out what he's done in
0: in one off season you know who caught that bad throw bug huh the whole damn pitching the whole damn <laughs> pitching core yeah, like nine bad throws to first base. They've got all John Lester on. Well, they didn't have time to do all the PFPs <laughs> well, and, in and, summer camp. And a lot of these guys are getting that, that ball to the down third baseline that they think they're going to turn and throw, and they turn and throw, and they sail it. So, Well, they used to play a long toss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's, let's move on. So well, there's, there's, what, four? I just want to throw this out there before we move on to the really deep in the minor league stuff. So there's about four more starts for, for a fifth starter yeah um what is the value in you know well well uh tingler said that uh Moreholm probably would have went later the last game uh maybe if he hadn't thrown so many pitches and i think there was a matchup in there as well i mean mm-hmm. do do they give him the fifth spot to to try or do they bring up mckenzie and get his feet wet or are they to say mckenzie let, next year you'll figure it out
2: well, you know, usually if you guys had caught me any other time it's since 2003, I'd be full of gossip and people that I heard at, at the parks. But none of the gossip has permeated the bunker in, in D.C. that much. So you i mean, people I in the
0: CIA, you need to get those guys on what really matters. And it's not I, China, I, it's what's going on over at the U.S.D. site.
2: I don't even think they'd get the Padres to talk. <laughs> from what I can understand, <laughs> I, I did, from what I've seen of Mackenzie Gore, I, I don't know – what's missing from him, because every time I've seen McKenzie Gore and I've talked to the Padres, they always say he's ready, pretty much. And just a question of him being healthy and him being sharp, so there must be something there with him. Um, you know, they could. I don't think they're doing anything with service time manipulation, because right. I don't it's know what the CBA is going to look like six years from when McKenzie's finally eligible. Um, I think if they think he's ready, I think he'll he'll go out there. But I think it's good they got Morehone out there because, uh, you know, I want to see Morehone pitch deeper. I want to yeah. see him go second time to the order because, you know, it, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure out that he's got good stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: you know, I like a- to see that
0: happen. Absolutely. And then, so, uh, then Michelle Baez, he looks like right. he's going to probably stick in the bullpen.
2: Yeah, you know, Baez, when I saw him in Fort Wayne when he first came out, I thought Baez was – was the truth because i mean with that fastball and how much it dropped and from the angle he was getting on but when he hurt his back he never really quite got his mechanics back in order he lost some confidence in his secondary pitches yeah he's got some talent i mean the guy at six foot eight with the ball coming down at that angle it's just really tough to square up when it's on but uh yeah we'll see i mean I'm I'm always kind of a little biased against tall relievers. I just think it takes so long for them to warm up. I think the guys you want to see is is kinda of like a Javier Guerra, like a guy who's about six feet, six one, a short who and I, I would definitely keep riding him. I like watching yeah. that guy pitch a lot too. It's amazing watching the fastball, yes with
0: Yeah, he's had some mixed results with some really good you know, the, actually his last outing was really good. But once again, not enough development. To really go like, okay, it slides out bullpen. Well, he's the same way kind of as Patino. I mean, you know, he's got that great fastball, but you gotta he's
2: got a decent slider. They just gotta the catcher's gotta call it more. Yeah. yeah. He, he, or else, you know, like you said, they'll, they'll sit on that fastball. That, I think that was your favorite guy, Paul McInall, he made that comment P-Mac. once. Was...
0: Woo! That's my wife.
2: Yeah, Maybe. in mobile, Paul P Mac sat there once and there was a guy we'd rated really high called Travis Chick. And he was getting hammered in mobile. And so I think I can tell this now is I asked Max Miller and go, What's up with Chick? And he goes, Well <laughs> he goes, you don't write this, but he doesn't like throwing his change up. He can't throw a slider for a strike, it's a big sweeping one. He can just and he has a good fastball. If I to go up and face a guy three times, I know he's just got a fastball. I'm yeah. I'm gonna hit the ball hard. Yeah. I mean, I'm not great, but I will hit the ball hard. And most of these other guys will, too. And you've seen that's what the league can do. Yeah, the so kind of, thing.
0: Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> he's, a, he's a coach in the Midwest League, I think, for the yeah. Cubs. For for the
2: Cubs. McDonald, he said he would talk. He said in the Southern League, you could talk to the umpires. As long as you were facing front, you could say anything you wanted to. Just when you turned back and said, What's that? They would toss but he would. he said he's facing the umpire. He's facing out there. He goes, That pitch was a lot of things. A strike was not one of them. And then uh, he looks up at the scoreboard and he said, you're hitting 150. What the hell difference does it make? (laughs) Uh,
0: Hey, real quick before we go on, I I forgot to say this. So I was listening to the 5.5 guys today, Danny and Eric, and apparently they have been nominated along with the Kept Faith as one of the best podcasts, sending a podcast. So um, I noticed on this last episode there was a lot less cursing. There was a lot yes. less, there was a lot more pauses in between. Um, they're about ready to say something really inflammatory and really, uh, you know, with a curse word. So I think they might be turning a page. huh?
2: Well, you know, their next step, they said on the next episode they have, they're going to talk about why Powie's in the North County. So right. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's sure. That's pretty good. To
0: Coming all from right. Elk we don't claim Powie at all. So we were talking
1: about Mackenzie Gore, and I was looking at the schedule, and if there's ever a soft landing spot for Mackenzie Gore to make his debut, uh, the 27th of August, they're playing the Mariners, and the Mariners struggle mightily against left-handers. And then if you look ahead in the rotation, if they're going to stick to the spacing that they've had, his next appearance would come against the Angels, who also struggle against left-handers. So I would love to see them bring Mac up and maybe even piggyback Mac and Morahone to bring a couple of fireball yeah. and left-handers against two teams that struggle yeah. against him.
2: Yeah, the thing about McKenzie Gore I always thought was fascinating was when I've interviewed him a couple times, he' point out, he was, he's another guy who was a late growth spurt. He was a small kid, and uh, the guy that was picked in the fifth round this year, uh, our buddy Jagger, he, he pointed out, when I was talking to one of the writers from that area of the country that covered him, he said, like, McKenzie was this really talented little kid who had a Great, know how to pitch and a changeup, and then suddenly he grew like five inches his sophomore year, and he comes back with a mid nineties fastball right. and knows how to pitch. And he <laughs> told some story about McKenzie, too. He just said he's the nicest kid, but he is a he is a beast between the lines, man. He yeah. likes
0: to compete. Yeah. When we talked to Jagger, I'm like, so what would you go? Because he played against him, and I'm like, would you do? Right. He's like, I he's like, I think I, uh, I think he flew out. Like he got, he made contact. Like he, he, uh, you know. He, Jagger ended up pitching like a, a five-inning, you know, no-hit five innings. They lose the game, but he like, so what would you do against McKenzie? And he's like, yeah, I think I hit the ball at to right field. Like, he got wood on the ball. At least he gonna...
1: got it out of the infield, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, I asked the
2: guy – I asked Jagger's coach if McKenzie could have gone as a position player. He said, well, he hit a ball 420 feet against us. So, yeah, yeah I liked his bat, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, so there are – so let's just go right into the dirty, because at the end of September and September 30th is the end of the professional baseball um, agreement with minor right. league baseball and major league baseball. Tons have been written. A lot of it's speculation. Some of it's been rumor. Some of it's been, you know, in the negotiating. Uh, but there's definitely going to be a different minor league system come right. 2021. Uh, it's not going to be pretty and it's going to affect not only the Padres, but it's going to affect all minor leagues and every organization because they got to cut down 60, 70 guys. I mean, it's it's incredible what they have cut down in uh, in a matter of just people on the rosters.
2: Well, this one I have done a little more research on, so I can hopefully sound a little more intelligent. On this is that, according to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America and some other guys, the big – push is to make minor league baseball more efficient so in a way what they're going to do is they're going to just go to four they're not going to touch the four full season clubs so if you're playing at home you're Padre fans there's nothing that's going to happen really with El Paso Amarillo Lake Elsinore or Fort Wayne we'll get they might flip Fort Wayne Lake Elsinore but we'll get back to that in a minute the big change is going to be on the short season teams which would be Tri-Cities and Appalachian League and Pioneer League. League. So what they want to do is they want to have a total that teams can have under control of about 150 players, including the Major League team. So last year, the Padres, I think we estimated – and this is just stateside. This doesn't count the Dominican Academies. I think the Padres had over 230 guys there. So what you're going to be looking at is I think you're going to have a 20 – going to Kyle Glazer and some of the guys I've talked to – you're probably going to have a 20-round draft. You're going to have the high school guys that go right to the complex leagues. You're going to make the assumption that if the college guys are there, they're kind of there for half a season, then they should be hidden low A, and then they should kind of be on their way. And I think, it, I think the way Major League Baseball has handled this is kind of hand-handed. But if you look at it kind of from an efficiency point of view, I don't really have a, a problem with this because what you're seeing is I think like kind of us we're talking off the air. I think it's really tough to come up to a major league organization say, we need to spend two or 3 million on signing these guys, housing them, developing them. And we kind of don't think they're going to be able to make the low 18. Right. I mean, that's, you know, as much as I like all these guys, and I think there's so much to be gained if they even playing, uh, you know, I got a Brad Brockster. I can tell him that later on about being drafted later. it's very rare to make the major leagues for draft after
0: the twenty fifth round. Right, and when when those days do come up, it's a big thing, and it's a whole story yes. for for a, for a week or so that some kid was you know twenty fifth or thirty fifth round that made it, and you know came out of D three or D four or whatever, uh, and right. just kind of it was a lottery pick. I I. We're a minority podcast, and I'm probably going to get. F- Fired from my own podcast for saying this, but I, I hate to say it. I, I kind of agree. I, I hate to see what it does to the communities. I hate to see what it does to the fan base uh, and You know, they want to grow the game by by cutting the access to the game. That all looks bad. But well, the the big problem that the
2: that the that the major league clubs run into is, I guess I guess you use this as an example. Let's suppose you guys take the millions that you're making off this. Podcasting yeah. with the pod, and you guys buy the Lake Elsinore Storm. Okay. Right. Now, let's suppose the Storm are going to move to Temecula and they're going to build you this brand new stadium. Donovan's going to have all these food options, and the Padres come in and say, Hey, we need this giant training room. We need this weight room. We don't want to send our guys to the Gold's Gym. You say, Fine. You say Temecula is paying for that. Difference is, let's suppose you're going to Elsinore and you say, Okay, we have our funds are finite. If I build this big weight room, build this big training room, I can't do this other stuff. Right. And the way that the major league teams look at it is you tell the Padres, hey, you don't like it at high A, you guys can go send a team out to the Florida State League and see how much you like taking the team all the way back there. So what these guys want to do, major league baseball is going to absorb the minor league baseball offense, and they're going to start putting stipulations on, if you're a minor league facility – you have to have such and such. I mean, being Padre fans, we're kind of spoiled. I mean, I went took my daughter a couple of years ago to one of the Nats minor league games in Springfield. They had sprinklers out in the outfield. The Nats had a couple guys that tripped over and nearly broke their ankles. They had, that's right when they had Harper there. The Nats told him fix that or we're pulling the whole team off the field. Yeah, are just playing on the road. So. There's a couple places in the Midwest League which are really bad fields, which are kind of like a game of musical chairs and no one wants to get stuck there. And that's probably going to change, and that's it's kind of not a bad thing. Northwest League, from what I understand, it's going to become either a low A or a high A league, and certain uh, cities are probably going to get um, teams from either the Midwest League or the or the Carolina League where they have really bad facilities. A couple places – Have substantial like the Appalachian League. People don't want to send players out there because the conditions are
0: so bad. It's funny because we, uh, you know, my family that live outside of Nashville, and one of our ideas was to move to one of those A.P. League teams and be a host family. So we, you know, we go by what the stadium looks like. We don't care what the team is. Like, oh, that looks like a high school field. Oh, that looks like a D2. I mean, like, I work at UCSD. Our new new stadium is pretty tight. That's a pretty nice. Pretty nice uh, facility. And then yeah. going into a D1 squad. But you see some of these fields and you're like, oh my God, that that's looks like a sandlot. You know, the, the bleachers are the bleachers look like high school bleachers and your you know, your concession stand is a tent. You know, not a tent, but you know, it's just one building that there's no concourse, there's no you're right. Oh,
2: a couple of the writers I know told me who visited the APU League games and if you're seeing ones in you know, high school baseball in San Diego say – those fields would be condemned for high school baseball. Yeah. They, they would not. So, I mean, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty good because what they're going to pretty much do is eliminate the org player. Now, the the number on the 150 players is kind of being negotiated. There's also a proposal they want to move. They want to switch all the high a leagues to low a and the low a leagues to high a. So, like the storm would become the new low a, team, right? Which is probably, I think, kind of makes a little bit more sense myself.
0: Well and if you've I mean I've been to Parkview, you guys both have been to Parkview. Yeah. You just see pictures of that place and you're like, that's a triple A ballpark. Oh it's, a it's major. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Definitely. You put stands Easily. in the outfield, that's a major league ballpark. It's that good. No,
2: I mean the the stadiums in El Paso, Amarillo, and uh and Fort Wayne are all are all top notch. And I mean just but it makes more sense, like, okay, if you get the complex in Peoria, just the low A team should be in and also, just a quick Southwest flight, less than an hour, they come up there, they can move the guys. Then when they're a little bit more ready, they can move them out there. To me, I think that makes perfect sense. I know the ten Caps are pretty excited about that. They think that's a hell of an idea.
1: Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, the conflict of interest that you pointed out is something that I, that I kind of keep coming back to, that if I'm the GM of the Lake Elsinore storm and I've got $50,000 of revenue at the end of the year that I can do what I want. Am I going to upgrade a seating section? Am I going to, you know, maybe make the, the bar in the corner where you're going to make some more money or do I need to build a new batting cage, which is what the team is mandating me right. to do. I would, well, li- I'd like to see a situation where the teams are required to invest a certain amount of money into the minor league facilities.
2: See, that's not going to happen. I know it's I know you guys it's a pipe Greek. dream. Okay. And the thing too, which is interesting, because it's a good idea. Me, it is. But if I come up to you guys and I say, "Look, by getting rid of these teams and by going from 220 to 150 players, what I can do is I can pay the minor league players more, make me look good, and at the same time, I can only pay them more, but I'll lower our overall costs. Yeah, business, and that's what they're doing. To business. The one thing I can tell real quick is uh, I got to know Brad Brock a little bit, the guy who's a reliever now, who yes. was, came up. And he had a good story because he was drafted in the 42nd round. Wow. So he was a guy who was like about 6'3", high school basketball player. Big and boy. Player. He goes to Monmouth, which is a Division two school, plays with his buddies, grows a couple inches. He still throws in the mid-'80s. So his one scout kind of liked him. And so – he comes up. He says, "Hey, we took you on the forty-second round. We got this deal for you." And Brock kind of says, "Oh, is this where the negotiation process starts?" And the scout goes, "No. Here's here's a, here's your thousand dollars. After you buy your family a steak, and after taxes, you got about five hundred bucks, and uh, you can go out today. Yeah, we'll give you a, pair, a new glove and a pair of cleats." And so, what Brock was interested—Brock was a good student. He took the GMAT. He got his accounting degree, and he thought. You know, I should do this. It'll be fun. I can tell my kids. I'll go out there. I've been a pro and all this. He goes out there. They move him to the bullpen. They do a couple tweaks. After throwing in the mid 80s, he's suddenly touching 90. Good does better. Goes to Fort Wayne and then he kind of takes off. I still think there'll be those stories. And I also think it's better off that you only have a 20 round draft because after you're taken, if you're taken after 20 rounds, it's going to be tough to make it. You should go to the best possible position you can. Yeah, a couple of agents I know said, "I wouldn't want my guys going to the Padres. If I'm a 25th round pick, that's a really good organization. It's going to be tough for my guy to find playing time. So if you're if you're good enough to go, I mean, you would probably want to pick where you want to go. So I think it's better off for everybody.
1: Well, there's also the undrafted free agent route. You know, you guys guys got signed for twenty thousand dollars, and you guys have done a fantastic job of of covering okay. those guys. Uh, you're trying to do a profile of each of them. At one point, there was that kid from that had a commitment to West Point that was rumored that he might sign with the Padres, and I'm sitting there pulling my hair out, going, "Why in this world? It is so hard to get into West Point. That kid's been working for at least five years, ROTC, of of making that, of making it into West Point, and he's going to be an officer in the military, and it's a path to a career. You can still. There are people that have done that and that have been professional baseball players. There was a guy that. There's a guy that, that actually pitched uh, for the Blue Jays I think within the last couple of years, but it's very rare. Right. And, and the, I'm red, there going, for the Red
2: Sox too, yeah.
1: I'm going why would this kid take $20,000 to come play professional ball when he's got a path to a six-figure career yeah. with a pension and all this stuff. And I'm glad that I'm glad for him that he didn't. In fact, I reached out to him and I said, "I saw this decision that you made, and as a Padres fan, I have to say, you know, kudos to you for making this choice. Best wishes. If you pursue baseball, great. If not, you're gonna have, you know, you've got your whole life out in front of you. This is the right choice."
2: Uh, I looked at it a little. I looked at it slightly different. I mean, I think one thing is I don't know him. I, I I reached out to his coach. I talked to him because we were trying to find out some information on that, and it just depends about. Who he is, and I think, kind of like Royce said, what he wants to do. But I would say this. If you want to play professional baseball, I mean, you kind of had to make a decision. And from what it seemed like was, you know, the Padres were kind of looking at that fifth-round pick. And you better make a decision if you want to do it. You had to tell them. And so once he couldn't do that, when he was on the fence... You know if he goes I think for all the reasons going into West Point like Roy said I, I agree with on that, but if you think you got a chance to play professional baseball, I would have gone with the the 20 k I would have gone just to have a have a chance because you can always go back and do something. you can't always go to West Point, so again it just depends on the on the guy but um the guys who really got screwed in this year's draft were the guys who would have been taken somewhere between. Round six, seven, and eight. The guy, uh Mar- our buddy Mark uh, Wilkins, one of our new writers did. A guy like Carl uh Lowen probably would have gotten about a hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. He got about twenty K. But uh and uh Zach Met and Matthias did too. But those guys were kind of difficult to track down, but we got we got a couple of them, so it should be interesting uh, to kind of watch Lowen. Lowen could be really good. Yeah, Carter,
1: Carter Mark, Lowen's story was pretty remarkable. That he was pretty yeah, much Mark, done. He was out, and then he stuck around for another year and made something for himself.
2: Yeah, we're gonna make Mark wear a Canadian flag tattooed to his body. After he did that, he also did a, <laughs> did Owen Casey. You like to do it? talk with him, the Canadian whisperer. So, uh, you know, I mean, I think I asked. Uh, so we don't take up too much time. I asked Donovan. And this might help who's, who's ever listening. Hopefully some people are. If you're still listening, break... thank you. Yes. Go on. If we, start, if we start breaking down like how tough it is for people out there who are following, I suggest just, just take a look at the outfields at Lake Elsinore and Fort Wayne. And just we can name, all of us can name a whole bunch of guys that probably deserve a shot to play there. They're going to keep about four outfielders, eight guys, and you're looking at the amount of money that is roaming around there. Church yeah. Ornelas signed for about a million. Uh Jason Rosario was like nine hundred thousand. Uh Robert Haskell got about what four million dollars? Yeah, $4, four million dollars. Uh, you know, Hudson Head got three million, Owen Casey got one point two, Josh Mears got one point two. All those guys gotta play. And it's just really kind of fascinating when you look about how brutal that competition is going to be.
1: So what does that mean for Jack Sawinski, Duan uh, William Sutton, Jawan Harris? You know, Robert Podorski was injured last I, year. Grant Little. Uh,
2: yeah, those guys got a lot of money. Or better yet, what does it mean for two guys who we saw play at Tri-Cities? You know, Matt Acosta did well. You know, uh, Jack uh, Strick. I don't have my computer from my Stronach. Me, uh, Stronach. Yeah. Yeah, those guys were really good in the Pac twelve, and they had decent years. But I mean, it's tough for me to see them play. You know, is Sean Gilby going to be out in left field or is he going to be at third base? He's another guy they like quite a bit too. So, um, but
1: how many spots are there for all these kids?
2: Yeah, that's that's the point. That's the the hard thing which we're asking.
0: You know, and, and,
2: and, and especially for Padres, that's going to be. I would only hope they would make more of these decisions uh, <clears throat> after the season rather than at spring training. So these guys, they have a shot to, to go hook on some other place. if They, if the Padres can't use them.
1: Right. Yeah, my heart went out to guys like Trey Carter that were released yeah. and he, they didn't, he didn't even have a chance to, now he struggled. He didn't have a good year last year. He struggled his first year, but who knows what kind of work he was putting in? I don't yeah. know. Maybe he made some swing changes. Maybe he went out and,
2: and you, yeah, but you know what? I like, I like Trey a lot and he's a, he's a, Great kid to talk to, and I've seen him play there. He has a lot of talent, but he kind of got a shot. Yeah, you know, after a while, it's harsh. And I mean, I sure as hell could not do it. I was not as anywhere near as good as these guys are. But uh, you know, there's only so many opportunities you're going to get.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's and and that's not just us. That's every single organization. And, and And this whole. So that's probably going to happen this year, yeah? I mean, they're just going to yeah. like a whole, whole page of right. names from every organization. What's And so the overall thing what Major League Baseball wants to do, they want to take over almost all the processes besides, like, education. They want to take over the, the area code games. They want to take over the perfect game. Well, I think uh, they're right. calling it one baseball, where if you're not doing it, the Major League – any of the major league tentacles way, like you're not going to get in the game and you're probably not going to ever get drafted or you'll be one of those guys that, you know, gets relegated to the Picos League that, you know, maybe gets a shot at, a, at an independent league. and Well, what they're going to
2: end is like the team, like in the um, Midwest League, the one that always is the chair that no one wants to sit in, Clinton. Right. Okay. What they're going to th- yeah, end is that. Lumber what they're going to end is Sorry, unless you guys build a facility that we think is up to our codes, you don't have a minor league baseball team anymore. And they want to. What they also want to have more control where teams go, like in Washington, the Nationals were pretty uh, pissed off. They got booted out of Nashville, and they got to have a AAA team in Fresno. Okay, so that means if they want to call someone up, <laughs> got to go from Fresno to LA, LA to DC, and it's you know just a really long trip. <laughs> So they want to kind of have more control over where teams play. They want to have more control over. They want to pay these guys more, and they want to end this process where I'm just kind of drafting a guy, and he probably won't make double A.
1: Well, some of that makes sense from a logistical standpoint. You look at the Northwest mm-hmm. League, and you've got a team in Vancouver, you got a team in Boise, and it's like an 18-hour drive from yeah. one to the other. Yeah, uh, in the in the sally league their teams as north as new jersey so i saw in one of these articles from jj cooper that they're thinking about splitting that up into like a south atlantic league and a mid-atlantic league for logistical reasons similarly with um triple a they're talking about adding a third triple a league right. to reduce the amount of travel
2: i, I guess well look I, at the texas league you have a bus trip from i uh, used to have a bus trip from san antonio to springfield missouri
1: huh.
2: yeah 18 <gasps> hours uh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How far is the drive I mean, from Amarillo to Springfield, Corpus Christi? Springfield. Yeah. Even in Texas,
2: uh, those, those those are pretty good bus trips. I mean, uh, I think that there, there's talk. They want to move San Antonio back to double a, they bring a couple other independent league teams in to sugar land. I think sugar land and uh, they move St. Paul, I think is another one. Um, yeah. I think it'll be interesting. I just think again, I don't think any of it is really a bad idea. I just think whoever does PR for Major League Baseball needs a major assist in learning how to talk to people. <laughs>
0: right, right. A- absolutely.
1: So what Donovan was saying about one baseball, it makes me think about when I played Little League, I was never any good. I was always the little kid that you couldn't hit.
0: Well, you're an but, engineer. I mean, of course, you're, right? you're a nerd.
1: A couple years ahead of me was Aaron Harang, who wound up making it into the big leagues. And his family and my family were were, were close. My dad umpired with his dad but it was it was basically a volunteer little league and yeah. the the cost to play wasn't much it was a lot of parents that were building the batting cages yeah. repairing the yeah. fences taking care all, of things yeah. but if it's mlb one baseball all the way down to that level then the the cost of entry for kids to be able to play is going to be substantially high and you look at what kids pay to play travel ball and all this it's I knew when I lived right. in Sacramento there was a, a, a couple I knew and they had two kids and the one kid he could pitch he could play outfield the kid was an athlete and they were traveling all over the country trying to show this kid off and his senior year he blew out his arm and it just devastated everybody and they'd invested so much energy and money and in in and in time into trying to get this kid seen and it's it, it, it that's not what baseball's supposed to be about. Right. Baseball is a game. I saw a scouting report for fourteen year olds a while ago. Yeah,
0: and, and it's younger, like, what
1: right? are you was talking younger, about? Like that 12? some some kids. Well, got that's why his. the
2: draft is really going to change because you know when you talk to these guys now, and you talk to some of the parents who subscribe to Mad Friars, I think what's fascinating is. They say it's the first summer day at all. These guys have been playing over 100 games since they've been about 14 years old. Like, I think one thing, I think Jim Callis made that comment to us on the draft that the draft wasn't really affected this year by COVID because these guys saw they needed to see kind of area code games and different summer leagues. Now, this year's draft coming up will be affected because what guys do in the high school is about you know, it is very minimal. I mean, and, and compared to an older guys like Donovan, and I played little league. I mean, uh, things have really changed. I can remember when I played Little League in the 70s and I was about 10 years old. My dad was really a good baseball player. So he was a coach. So I go out there in one game and I get hit in the back of the neck underneath the helmet. My dad comes up there, come on, you're fine. Another kid gets breezed across the jersey. My father goes ballistic. And so then we go back out there, and I'm pitching. And my dad, you know, who had two master's degrees, education, was an assistant superintendent. First thing my dad says to me, he goes, now, John, now the first pitch, I want you to put it right in his back, not the head, but stick him in the back and let him know what's going on. So I'm ten. I go, okay, I go up there. I drill the guy, and my dad looks at the coach. Yeah, okay, we're fine. We're good. I mean, nowadays, right? I'd be a lawsuit. Wow. Be something else. And my father. Be on Yahoo time, sports. Yeah, my father thought he was a big liberal because you know he. We just drilled one guy, not two. I mean, we're playing fair.
0: So. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, and now they have like coach pitch. They have. I mean, yeah. they have kids starting at five years old playing. I don't even know what that is, but it's, it's pre T-ball. If they have T-ball, then they have coach pitch, and they have machine pitch. When I grew up, I'm fifty. It was um, caps. Yep. you pitched. Yep, yep. Caps, and minors yeah. and majors. Caps, minors and majors. It wasn't like Mustang and Shetland, and we had T-ball, and
1: then farm was the machine. And then it, minors was pitching.
0: Millennials! Nah, Dude, they had it so
1: nah. easy back then. Millennials, come yeah. on. I graduated no, no in 97. I'm not a millennial. Get out of here
2: with that. <laughs> had the opposing coach throwing at us, and occasionally the coach would like wing one by your head just right. to make sure you're <laughs> <head. laughs> But it wasn't... My, it I wasn't, told my wife that. She said that explains a lot of things. Right. So I'm not
1: <laughs> but it wasn't baseball 12 months out of the year. You'd play right. baseball, and then maybe you go play basketball yeah. or football. You'd play these yeah. different sports. Yeah. And now, it's like, it's not just 12 months of baseball, but these guys are playing in two or three different leagues at a time, I, it's, it, it's just, it strips the joy out of the game to me. It is, dude. It Well, is. you
2: guys talk to Jack, Jack Sawinski a lot. I've talked to him before, and he talked about in Chicago. You know, he's playing fall ball. He's playing high school ball. Then he has a, the summer league teams. And, I mean, most of the time those scouts are out there looking at different area code games about, you know, they want to see how well someone does against really good competition, not against guys like me, you know.
1: I think he's the one that told us about – he got in trouble because he played in a a game and then they went straight from one game to another, but Coach B didn't know that he was playing on Coach A's team. So he shows up and he's already all sweaty and dirty. Right. And he's like, what have you been up to?
0: Right. (laughs) It's a a mess and it's going to be all coming to a head in the next – Yeah, very much so. Very, very soon. And and it's going to be sad and we're going to do a lot of podcasting about how evil – Major League Baseball is, and, and the big, sad
2: thing is, a lot of those guys who are, you know, have gone out there, geez, for about fifteen years uh, and seeing these guys on a regular basis, and uh, a lot of guys at these minor league parks, you know, who've done this for a long time, were really hurting this year. Yeah, I mean, there was no income coming in, and uh, you know, my heart goes out to all those guys. I mean, uh, yeah, because they they really truly love the game. You know, guys like Mike Moss and John Nolan and. Uh, Sam Levitt and and you know, Tim Haggerty and, and all those guys. Yeah. Who's the so who's
1: I, the the Peanut guy in uh, Tri City? Eric. Eric the Peanut guy. The Peanut guy. Eric
2: the Peanut guy awesome. Yeah, but he's yeah, got a that,
1: master's degree.
0: A, he's got a day job.
1: Yeah, but there's. I mean, you've got you've got food service. Yeah. You've got oh, transportation. Yeah. No, I, yeah. You've got janitorial. All the groundskeepers and all that. And it's there's an industry built around these yeah. minor league ballparks and communities and the community that supports yeah. it. And so I. Well,
2: that breaks my that's heart that that's going to be taken away. I can I can sit there with you guys and I can make a a good case about like a place like Tri Cities they, they really don't need it for development. But Tri Cities is one of my favorite places to go to. And yeah. I mean, because if you think of everything what you imagine minor league baseball is like, about four or five guys who are just running this thing to do something for about you know eight weeks, and they do a great job. Yeah. Daryl Ebert has just a really good crew and they had a stadium looking nice and eric has a eric's an episcopalian minister i believe and he he has such fun and that place is such a big part of the community so i really hope they have um some type of low a baseball with those kids because they they certainly deserve it
0: absolutely and they just did a life-size bobblehead of eric Depena yeah. for for geese's stadium ah. so yeah John, yeah. we, we really appreciate it. We're at the hour mark. Uh, so the two people that have it on uh, their headphones at the gym, uh, <laughs> you can put down the weights now, dude. We're done. Thanks for uh, sticking with dude, us this th- whole time. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, dude, thanks for coming on, John. I mean, yeah, there's really, you know, there's not a lot going on. A lot of intrigue at the, at the USD sites. A lot of unknowns in this season of so much uh, unknowns. Uh, we appreciate you coming out and uh, talking to us. Well, thank you so much.
2: Maybe we'll send charity undercover over to a uh, well, USD he, site. He
0: keeps threatening <laughs> to do that, dude. Has he done that?
2: Not yet. I mean, yeah, we'll tell Kevin to go play some type of, like, I spy or something.
1: There's like got to be a parking garage or something where you can set up with a telescope or something.
2: Oh, God. I mean, I can see, even for us thinking about this, we'll be chastised. i get some email from the Padres on this. So, yeah. Is that I, your I car? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later.
2: All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Great time.